Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Batir. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. This is another show that I am recording live at AWS Energy Symposium. As I said, if you're here, you're here. If you're not, you're not. But there is a recording of the entire Energy Symposium. Obviously, you have found this podcast, so there is a recording of the podcast. And there will be a link in the show notes so that you can find links to the Energy Symposium if you want to go back and listen to everything. So now I am going to let my next guest introduce himself, introduce his company, and why are you at the AWS Energy Symposium? Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me here today. I'm Peter Black. I'm CEO of EnergySys. We are a provider of a cloud-native platform for oil and gas customers that allows them to effectively manage their production data and configure applications that exactly meet their needs without coding. I'm at the show today because we are one of the uh, core group of energy competency partners uh, delivering solutions on AWS. And in combination with other companies, we're able to deliver a comprehensive set of capabilities to customers in the energy market. Well, thank you for joining me on the show. That's very exciting, and it sounds very interesting. So you said EnergySys is a low-coding platform. What does that mean? What, one of the problems with the domain where we work, typically, uh, it covers things like hydrocarbon accounting or production reporting or production allocation, greenhouse gas emissions, is every customer has a unique problem they want to solve. Their commercial arrangements are different, the sets of meters are different, the assets are different. So it, until EnergySys, it was really impossible to find an application that gave customers the flexibility to configure a solution to meet their exact needs. Typically what happened was that you got a piece of software, it didn't fit, and people reprogrammed it, which meant it was expensive, inflexible, you couldn't change it, you couldn't upgrade it. EnergySys is exactly the opposite. Customers configure it themselves. Business users configure it themselves, and that allows them to create applications exactly in the way that they want. That's really interesting, and a really, it feels like a very innovative idea, thinking about building something that that is simple to use and easy to understand so that you can develop solutions for your specific, unique, complex problem. Is there, is there something that, that, say, is relatable to the general, popula- the general population, something that, that you can compare it to for, 
for those of us who don't know how to code? Yeah, I think the, the target market for energy sys is business users with domain knowledge. So people who don't code necessarily, people who understand what they want to achieve. And really what energy sys does is allow them to achieve that. It's hard to imagine parallels there, but if you think perhaps of Salesforce, you've got a kind of a sales automation tool, but it also can be configured to store other types of data. To some extent, it's a very similar model, except we really make it easy for people to do calculations and to store technical data, and in fact, to store large volumes of technical data, the kind that you get in an oil and gas asset. So it's, it's quite a specialist uh, platform, but on the other hand, it's completely flexible. So we don't limit the kind of applications people could configure on the platform. And people have done things like um, uh, marine vetting, or as I mentioned, GHG emission tracking. They've done um, chemicals tracking, all kinds of applications. And again, they don't come to ask us for permission or you know, have to license new modules. They simply configure what they need on the platform. That's really cool. And it, now that I'm thinking about it, it, it reminds me of their... So being in Dallas, Texas, we've got this thing called the Pro Museum. It's a science and technology museum. And one of the exhibits are these little, these little robots. And they've got little boxes that you can drag and drop and ultimately tell the robot to do things. Now, this isn't, this isn't I guess, it is coding because you are telling the robot exactly what to do, but I'm not sitting there typing some type of Python code or something in C++ that that doesn't look like English. It is a box that says, turn right, take blank steps, and I type in a number. Yeah. And then it says, turn left. Yeah. And so is that, is that kind of what, what you have developed? That's a good parallel. Uh, it's, um, it's definitely got the essence of that kind of uh, no need to actually get down into the details of coding on it. I guess the other parallel I would draw would be particularly for engineering companies of the kind that we typically deal with, almost everyone in there will be familiar with Excel. And ah. they will be building applications in Excel without meaning to generally. They'll start off with some simple calculations. They'll begin to enhance those. And all of a sudden, they'll say, I want to share this in the company. They put it on a shared drive. Someone will change some of the numbers. And they, they, they will start to secure it then. They'll start to put a little UI on it. They'll write VB to try and bring up a dialogue box here and there. You know, that kind of evolution is, or, uh, is fairly typical in a lot of the companies. And it's th that flexibility that Excel gives them, the power to make change constantly, to evolve their thinking, to update their rules as they go. That's absolutely fantastic. Where it gets out of hand is where you start sharing it, where you start trying to lock it down, and where you get large volumes of data. So maybe the easiest way to think about energy sys is, and often our competitors joke about it, is Excel on steroids. It's uh -huh. you know like kind of the ideal development tool for a business user, but it gives them security, it gives them scalability, it gives them resilience, robustness, gives them uh, enterprise capabilities, enterprise sharing, open web API, all that stuff comes almost for free, almost with n a small incremental effort to what they would have put into an Excel spreadsheet. Wow. Yeah, and that reminds me of my grad school days when there, was, there were four of us working in this lab 
And we had several large projects that we would all do together. And I remember distinctly one, one of the guys was really good with writing VBA codes and he would make these really fancy Excel sheets and then I would get it and I would end up breaking it somehow. And I think that's a really good point that it, as you try and do high-end computations in, in something that maybe wasn't, wasn't made to do that, or really once you start sharing things, I, I think of times when I'm writing a paper or a report and then I send it to a co-author and they read it and they change things and it's just not my writing style, their writing style. So there ends up being this disconnect. Yeah. And it sounds like it's very similar once you start sharing say uh, an Excel file from a geologist over to an engineer, there will be a disconnect. It's like mixing oil and water. And so you end up having issues. And it sounds like EnergySys is not only solving these issues, but also making it so that it's almost easier to, to make these high-end, robust computational programs. Uh, that's exactly right. So what we're really trying to do is to say that the mental process, the, the steps you go through when you're thinking about a problem in, say, an Excel environment, that's a really productive environment, but only to a certain point. So what we want to do is provide a set of tooling that allows you to take a few extra steps that get, delivers you security, delivers you, delivers you integrity of data, mm. gives you audit trails and version history. If you think about for a moment, you know, one of the things that happened when you guys were sharing your spreadsheets around was that it was very difficult for you to say, uh, I want you to see this sheet here, but not this other sheet here, and, and maybe even not even that other sheet. I, I don't want you to see certain rows in that sheet. And that's where you get into the whole, oh, let's, let's secure it with VBA. And then you say, well, how do I get data into it? And you say, well, obviously, cut and paste, or uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's or worse, you try and link sheets together, and that always guarantees you never end up with the right <laughs> set of sheets. So, we we really have kind of eliminated all of those issues, but we're still trying to maintain that agile, productive, operational method of thinking about problems and building solutions, and that's allowed us really to provide a range of solutions for things like Atlantic LNG plant down in Trinidad for the BTC pipeline right, running from Azerbaijan through to Jehan in Turkey carries up to a million barrels of oil a day for a whole bunch of offshore facilities in, in the US and, and the UK and Africa and also onshore 10,000 well scalability for the, for the platform. None of that stuff you could do in Excel. Yeah. But you do want the business user to be able to say, hey, wait a minute, we've got a new entrant, we have new rules, we have new commercial agreements, we have a new way of allocating to our wells, we have a different type of well test. I know how to change the system and make it work for me. Yeah. And until EnergySys, that was not an option. You had to call the vendor and they came in with a screwdriver and a spanner. <laughs> yeah, that's really really exciting to hear and to, to think about how how you can kind of develop your own solutions i'm curious with within any given company have you ever seen energy sys being utilized say by the geology department to do one thing and then going over to production or development or or even going all the way to the financial modeling team and being used in a completely different way 
Yeah, and and some extent that's one of the things I love about energy sets is the fact that we don't control directly what people can do on the platform. So customers' data is customers' data. It's confidential. It's they own it. If they want to come onto the platform, they bring their data. If they want to leave, we give them their data to take away. So they can do things on the platform that we don't even necessarily know about. So they can start with production accounting or production reporting, production allocation. We have people who are capturing chemicals information. We have people who are, are sharing information about the well allocation with the reservoir engineers via the API. They're doing things like, um, uh, you mentioned financial. We do have some customers that are generating the accounting statements, but also actually true invoices from the system. So there's not, uh, there really is not a limitation on what people can do, and it can be extended out beyond that. You know, we've got, interesting enough, we do have one customer who built an application to send out to, um, for marine vetting. So they've got a questionnaire for the ships that carry their cargoes. They send that out to them, and they send email back their responses, and the system processes it. We could never have envisaged that, and that's the great point about putting the power in the hands of the domain users. They understand the domain, give them the tools to configure what they need, and they'll do it. Yeah, yeah I think that, that makes complete sense, giving, giving the power to the people, essentially, yeah, and saying, exactly right. you know what you need, you know what you want, so now we've provided a tool that you can use to, uh, to develop that solution. Yeah. Now, you've, you've done a good job of making it clear that the data is, is the, the operators, whoever, whoever is coming onto your platform to make these solutions, ultimately they have their data, it is secured, nobody else can see it, ultimately it goes back to them. So, do you have any metrics on on any type of CO2 savings or any type of optimizations that have been produced using EnergySys? Yeah, it's difficult for us to get information because we obviously don't don't have that. But we can talk about um, you know we've got what one indivi one individual asset for a customer where across the broad range of their to their well count they're generating. 20 million records a day and storing that information and analyzing it subsequently. And we have just had a presentation with one customer who was talking about an 80% reduction in the resources they're required to both implement and manage their solution, both in terms of that stuff. So wow. um, it's allowing people to, to be regulatory compliance or meet regulatory compliance, but also to run their business much more efficiently than they, they could before. Direct numbers are slightly difficult, but but um, in general, its uh, productivity is huge. Yeah, and I think that's it's such an important part thinking about productivity because as we're saving man hours, as we're saving trips out into the field, as we're as we are optimizing the way that we ultimately are producing, each one of those steps can be a an ESG savings. Whether that's yeah, that's less gas being driven less CO2 being put in the air, less downtime of rigs, more optimization of equipment that's out in the field, yeah. more use of that equipment. Yeah. I think all of those aspects that, that something like Energy Sys can enable ultimately is, is savings. And whether you have hard numbers or not, I think the, I think the value there is pretty clear. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when you think about a typical um, 
operator, whether they're talking about electricity or oil and gas, the, the, the production of that energy is the thing that's going to drive the majority of their CO2 emissions. So it, within energy, says we can combine management of their production with also management of their CO2 information. And the first step to control, the first step to reaching net zero, which is the aspiration of all of the customers in the energy space, is to understand what their emissions actually are and be able to report on those. So we're providing that. And in fact, not only do we um, allow the customers to track the related emissions, but we are also, many customers also drawing in information, for example, related to their buildings, the buildings they own. So, so related uh, CO2 production or greenhouse gas emission production from the rest of the business drawn into the platform to allow them to see a comprehensive overview of their CO2 or GHG performance. Yeah. So staying on the staying on the idea of of data and having the data focused still within the hands and the power of the operator person coming to the platform is that a major selling point for for some of your some of your clients for sure. I, I think it was one of the guiding principles. We, we first started thinking about how we would change the market back in 2007. And, and our view then was that the software market was largely dysfunctional and broken, particularly for technical applications of the kind we're discussing here. Customers paid far too much. Projects took far too long to implement. You could never upgrade the software after that. It cost huge amounts to maintain it. And we really wanted to change that, and we weren't really sure how we would do that. Um, but our first principle was self-service. We wanted it to be possible. That's the kind of thing we're talking about at the moment. We wanted to make automation easy so you could do more with fewer people. We wanted to make it evergreen so it could be continuously upgraded so people didn't have to pay for upgrades, pay for, um, pay for implementation of upgrades, and also didn't require them to do a whole bunch of testing, to dedicate resources internally to testing that. And the last one of, of the four principles that we established back then was the fourth principle was that we wanted to have open data. You'll know if uh, you've experienced any kind of software that it's very common for vendors to want to lock you in. You know, you can only yep. use their tools or the only way you can access the data is via SQL on a database. Well, that's a really terrible way to get access to information because you're coupling your uh, request for information with the underlying structure of the software. And that's what makes upgrades hard. So you need an abstraction there. So we wanted to support open web-based standards for data access and also for updates as well. So those kind of four principles drove us then back in 2007. They're still the ones that drive us today and they're all about making sure that the customer is empowered and more importantly that they can join or leave really easily. So we used to charge customers to export their data if they left the platform. Um, not a huge amount, but we charged them and we thought, that's wrong. It's their data. We're going to give them their data. If they want to leave, they should get all of their data back uh, in a way that they can use and import into another system. So we want people to stay on the platform because they love it, not because they can't get away. Yeah, I think just hearing you talk about it is exciting for me because that's one of those things that I've noticed. And, and being a being a geologist and working in subsurface and and 
working for a service company. We, we do technical consulting. So we work with all sorts of different companies and different clients. And one of the biggest aspects of when we're basically choosing the software we're using is how compatible is it with everybody else? Can we put data in, do our manipulations and export data in something where if company XYZ doesn't have this software, can they still use it? And, and it sounds like that is, that is one of the, one of my biggest pain points in, in the energy industry is that I have my preferred softwares, but those aren't preferred by everybody else. And, and so I get to make pretty pictures and pretty maps, but ultimately I can't, I can't share the data with everybody. And it sounds like that's, it's, it's refreshing to hear of, of a company who is, who is really customer focused and saying your data, your models, and your solutions that you get to make. That's 100% right. It's absolutely bang on. And I think one of the other important aspects of that, and it's really interesting to hear you talk about integration between tools and how you might use tools together is that that's really a, a kind of multiplicative effect on your productivity. If you can get tools to work together easily or through workflows or whatever. When I used to work at some microsystems a long time ago, uh, now sadly defunct, but um, they, one of the sayings that we had internally at Sun Microsystems was innovation happens elsewhere. Oh. Meaning, meaning that we were not the only source of innovation, that, that other people had great ideas, did stuff fantastically. And we fundamentally believe that to be true, that there are great companies out there creating great software. If we can join with them, we don't compete with them. Mm. We work with them. We make sure that we can link with them so that customers get the added value of both their product and our product. And it's not the sum is not two, it's eight or 20 or yeah. 100. Yeah, that is, that's a great saying. It's, it's amazing that, that a company with such a great motto would go under, but that's yeah. the way we go, right? Yeah, very sad. It's, uh, I'm afraid they took their eye off the ball and, and so on. It's really interesting. One of, one of the things about Sun I was talking about the other day is that in the late 1990s, they were uh, set up a model where they were charging customers for CPU online, effectively in the cloud, at a you know a cent or CPU cycle, um, and and really failed to develop that sufficiently to um, to be still in the game when the uh, when the cloud really came to came into being. They were probably 10, 15 years ahead of their time. But yeah, amazing company, but uh, and sadly gone now. But yeah, and thinking now today, we're at the AWS Energy Symposium, all about cloud computing and utilizing the cloud and having solutions implemented in the cloud. So how how does that all play into EnergySys? That's a really fantastic question. Uh, so there's probably a couple of things. One of the things that we really strongly believe is that, that um, where possible, customers should buy software as a service. Customers should buy service, not software. When our customers buy it, for example, for energy, says for production accounting, 
They're buying the ability to run their production accounting on time, accurately, every time they need to automate their processes. That's what they're paying us for. They're not paying us for a piece of software. They're not paying us for a piece of infrastructure. They're buying a service, not software. In the general case, they're buying us with the ability to configure applications that they need. So they don't have to worry about how it's done or which bits hook where or paying for anything extra. They just everything is there. And related to that, I think in our ability to provide that service is absolutely tied to AWS. We could not do today what we are doing at the scale we are doing with it were it not for AWS. We're not a large company, deliberately so we're not a large company. We're very technology focused, but we leverage the hell out of AWS's infrastructure globally. So we now operate in four of um, AWS's regions globally. We roll out our application in Australia, in the US, in Europe, and all of these places, uh, we have exactly the same software done there, but there's no way we could manage that, secure it, scale it, without having a, uh, an organization like AWS behind us and supporting us. Yeah, that's really, really interesting to hear it that way. And, and it makes so much sense that ultimately your goal is to have this, this service as your product, being able to provide the solutions by letting clients utilize the software and ultimately the best way to do that is by having that in in your own your own ecosystem that being AWS that allows it to go everywhere yeah i th i think one of the things that's that's really i'm passionate about is the fact that back in 2007 when we were thinking about how we would address what we saw as the problems in the market is that that we did build some really neat technology and today we're able to combine our neat technology with the much bigger set of neat technology that AWS provides to, to deliver fantastic solutions. And technology is really important, but the fundamental thing that we did back then was change our mindset, look at the problem differently. And I think there's still a need for that almost on every occasion you're thinking about what you need to do about a situation is try and view the problem differently. I think there's an inclination amongst a lot of, of, uh, in, of uh, industrial customers, not just in oil and gas, but to look at AWS as a, a, a kind of mirror of a data center they would have had on premises. So they kind yeah. of lift the workloads up and put it into AWS. That is great. It gives you a whole set of management tooling you didn't have before, a whole set of scalability, new servers so you can run up whenever you need them. But really, that has not been transformational. It's just moving workloads, making this, the, your current situation better. The big question is, how can you run your business differently? And that's where we're selling customers is, you can change the way fundamentally you run your business and change to a software as a service model rather than one in which you're thinking about servers and where you host them. Yeah, yeah, that's really clever. And I like that, I like that angle really by almost earlier, earlier I was talking with, with Kesha and she was, or Keisha, she was on talking about cloud native, cloud computing, and ultimately going from what, what was being done in on-site data centers into cloud data centers, now into fully, fully cloud native, fully done in the cloud. And I think that's, that's kind of what walking through that progression is, is exactly what you're saying is transforming business and ultimately transforming it to be 
run more efficiently, more effectively, and more productively. And that's it's it's such a great idea and a great mindset to to kind of shift our focus from from status quo, how everything's done today, into not only the energy transition but the the energy of the future and the the future of of society really yeah i think if you look back that's a really great kind of um point to make there if you look at uh, the kind of simon sinek model uh, you know people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it mm-hmm. and we're really fortunate to have a whole range of great customers whose visions align with where we're going. So they're yeah. thinking very similarly to us. They, they're buying why we're doing what we're doing. And we're lucky that BP is one of those guys and rolling that to the platform out globally. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, with that, I want to transition into my final questions. These are questions I ask everybody. The first one being, what's the most important book you've ever read? Uh, well, I'd have to be a bit dull and say it's a business book, but it's um, uh, Rennie Moborn and Chan Kim's uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. We used that in 2007. It hadn't been out for long, and my business partner, she uh, had read it quite recently, and we used the tooling in there to really develop the Blue Ocean Strategy. So the kind of core concept is that uh, Red Ocean is one where you're competing head-to-head and blood in the water and so on. Blue Ocean is where you define characteristics of your product or your, your envisioned product that are quite different. And you know, we were seeing a lot of custom coding, we were seeing a lot of support costs, a lot of upgrade costs and so on. And we deliberately strategized to absolutely eliminate those and to make it possible for customers to do their own thing. And, and that Blue Ocean strategy is what we developed then. And we still are, are following exactly the same strategy today. So it's, it's hard to understate the importance of that, uh, of that book and that philosophy to our company. Yep, I like it. And that's a, another one that I'm going to add to the list, my list of, of books I need to read. The next question being, when will we be net zero as a society? Uh, I would guess 2050. 2050. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate at all or just stick with that? No, I, I think we have the will to do it. I, I think there's an unfortunate part of the conversation. For, so, for example, at COP26, None of the major oil and gas producers were involved. I think that's a serious mistake. I think uh, there's always a tendency to regard big companies as cynical and and profiteering and so on. That is definitely not my experience. Uh, The people are committed to reducing CO2 emissions. The world needs energy. We need to provide that energy. We need to provide the current energy at as low CO2 emissions as we possibly can. And we need to transition to a future energy where where we can uh, produce uh, energy without without uh, emissions. Yep, that makes total sense, and I agree. I think we do have the will. We do have many of the solutions ready. We just have to start implementing and and uh, give give everybody a chance to to get there. With that, the last question you actually get to ask me a question now. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, am um, I your best looking interviewee of the day? I'm sorry, say that again? Am I the best looking interviewee of the day? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one more then. Um, what is the, um, 
what is the thing that would most surprise me about you if I asked you to tell me something about you? The thing that would most surprise you? Apart from the bow tie. Yes. Well, the bow tie, I, I don't think is surprising. It's on, it's on all the show art, and, and it has become a thing. Wherever I go to conferences, people look for bow ties and then look up to see if it's me. I feel like that's the way people do it. They, they know me by the bow tie now. But so obviously that would that would not be surprising. Not the least. the surprising thing about me, I think there is this dichotomy with me. I'm I'm here on the oil and gas global network and I'm talking about energy transition, decarbonization, sustainability, things that that when you look out into the general public and you talk to the majority of people they don't see those as being as being mutually they don't see those as being compatible they don't see the ability to talk about wind wave solar geothermal and also talk about oil and gas they don't understand how you can talk about oil and gas with decarbonization and still have oil and gas be part of the conversation it's yeah. not a how much oil it's a when are we going to stop using it so I think that's the biggest thing is just the fact that and and my life kind of kind of mirrors that at one point in my life I would I would bike commute so all I did was ride my bike I put and I put more miles on my bike than I did on my car but my car at the time was a Dodge Ram 2500 so this big diesel truck that got terrible gas mileage but it pretty much just sat there and, and didn't go anywhere. So I have this weird dichotomy, and that's a kind of, my life mirrors the podcast and kind of mirrors what I see in energy right now that we, we do need to decarbonize, but we still need the oil and gas, and we need to find a way to make everything mesh together into a, a happy, mutual, compatible future so that we can have a high standard of life, but also be able to do that in a low carbon way. That's a, that's a fantastic answer, not least because you managed to use dichotomy twice in a sentence, <laughs> but also um, it, it, th those topics you mentioned are, were a large part of the conference today. So yeah. even though a lot of the people here are oil and gas backgrounds, you know, sustainability and re emissions reduction and net zero, that's... 80% 80, 80 of what was being discussed today. Yep, yep. Well, it sounds like the, the reception at the end and the closing remarks are starting soon. We're starting to get drowned out by noise. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you would like to say? No, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to have the chat with you today and I'm looking forward to the margaritas. Well, Peter, thank you for joining me on this episode. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. Please, if you remember, give me a five-star rating, leave a review. Doing those two simple actions will help these stories reach a wider audience. With that, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or a story that you would like to share, send me a message on LinkedIn or email me. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. 
Join us again next week for another low-carbon, high-energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.